0: Let's again uh, take out our Bibles, and let us turn to Genesis chapter 39, and we will today read the entire chapter. Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 1. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Pay careful attention to the reading of it. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he had heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. The keeper of the prison set paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. Now what an encouragement it is to see over and over that you are with Joseph. And Father, now we pray for the preaching of your word. Be with this your servant. We pray that uh, we may glean truth, your truth, from this passage, that we may apply it correctly into our lives, that we may give you all glory in all things. Bless our time as we study your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are in Scripture certain themes which seem to come up over and over again. And one of those themes is the theme of suffering and God's providence. And this makes sense, since suffering is a part of the shared human experience. You and I live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. And so in this world, we will experience, to greater or lesser degrees, suffering. We experience the miseries of this life. We experience sickness, privation, hunger, depression. We experience the threat of death. We sin, and we're sinned against and so we, we may wonder at times, why do we suffer this way? Why do we suffer? Why must I suffer, God? You may think perhaps God has abandoned us. Our experience with suffering and the questions we ponder from time to time, these are all shared with humanity. All of us, to some degree or other, ask these sorts of questions, experience these sorts of things. Even our Savior Jesus Christ, God who took on flesh, suffered the miseries of this life. On the cross, quoting from Psalm 22, our Savior Jesus said, asked, really, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ Jesus, the Son of God, He was not a sinner. He was not a sinner like you and I, and yet He suffered for us and with us. The Christ who was humbled, even to the point of death on the cross, would be highly exalted. And so as we return again in our study in Genesis, we come here to the story of Joseph in chapter 39, and we come to the account of Joseph's unjust suffering. His unjust suffering after having been sold by his brothers into slavery. This was back in chapter 37. He was sold into slavery. He was brought away from his home, away from the covenant family, and he was brought down to Egypt having been sold by Ishmaelite traders. And then this comes on the heels of this shameful account of Judah. In chapter 38, who was the cause of suffering for Joseph, but also this cause of suffering for his own daughter-in-law, Tamar. And so we find here Joseph again. And now he's been sold. He's been sold to a man named Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. His full title is provided here in in the text and it gives the reader a sense of his great importance. Joseph wasn't just sold to anyone in particular. He was sold to actually someone quite important by God's good providence. Joseph has been sold to an officer of Pharaoh, the great king of Egypt, the ruler of Egypt, one of his chief men. That Joseph would end up in such a household as this is an amazing bit of providence in and of itself. But that he would also be given great position in that household should strike us as almost impossible and yet it is true. God has blessed Joseph even in his suffering. We will see that even as he takes great leadership in the house of Potiphar, there are false accusations that are made against him which bring him low again. It will land him in prison. And so his suffering must continue. But throughout all of his suffering, the Scriptures make clear over and over again this very key thing. And Maybe you heard me uh, sort of... uh, you know, really mentioned this very strongly as we read it, but that the Lord was with him. That the Lord was with him even as he was suffering. When the people of God suffer, one comfort that you and I can have is that the Lord is with us too. And so as we jump now into our text, in the story of, Uh, of Joseph, we're reintroduced again to Joseph as he's been brought down to Egypt. He had been a covenant son. He was the son of Jacob. And now he was taken away and he's a slave. Though he's now in an important house. And the Lord was with him. God will neither neither leave him nor forsake. Now notice verse 2. Verse 2 gives us three pieces of key information. First, again, the Lord was with Joseph. Now if you haven't figured this out yet, this is the main theological entrance into the passage. In other words, this whole scene is framed by this phrase, The Lord was with Joseph. We begin with it here in verse 2, and then the passage ends with that same phrase in verse 23. And it's repeated several times throughout the passage. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, anytime you see repetition like this, you should know, you should sort of, you know, like, um, focus in and say, Well, this is a key point. This is important. God is, if God repeats himself, you you should sit up and say, oh, this is something I should take very seriously, right? I I need to pay close attention to this. And so this is the main theological message which is being conveyed in the word here. And that is that the Lord had not left Joseph, but in fact was very near to him. Despite Joseph's um, circumstances of life, God had not left him. God had not forsaken him. The Lord was near to him, caring for him by his good providence, orchestrating events by his sovereign hand, so that Joseph would be placed into the seat of authority. I mean, if we, we know the rest of the story, we know that ultimately what God is doing is putting Joseph in a position so that he's able to rescue the whole nation so immediately we are told that God was with Joseph. And this again, this speaks of God's character, doesn't it? This speaks to us about the character of God. God does not simply abandon His people. God is good. God is holy. God is true to His Word. The second thing that verse 2 tells us is that Joseph became successful. Now some translations say that he was a prosperous man. And this is is good, this is a good translation, but but his prosperity does not mean that he became wealthy. It wasn't that Joseph became a wealthy man, Joseph was continuing as a servant of Potiphar. What is being indicated is that as the Lord was with him, that, that all that Joseph did succeeded or prospered by the hand of God. Lord was the cause of Joseph's success. And the things that he did, they just worked. Everything he put his hand to worked out. He did things well. Any project that he worked on worked out well. Now, wouldn't you love for all of your projects to always work out well? I don't know about you, but I start projects and and then I have a hard time finishing because they they don't turn out very well, right? Something goes wrong. Joseph, anything he does just works out. Now, in a sense, this stands as an analogy for Christ who himself does all things well. Finally, the third thing we are told in verse 2 is that he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, you might ask... Well, I thought we already knew this. I mean, he, you know, he got sold to Potiphar. We know that he was in the house of Potiphar, but that's actually not the point being made. The the narrative is making something else clear. Joseph was a household slave. Which is to say, Joseph was not toiling in the fields, he lived in his master's house. That's the point being made. Now you might wonder still, well, why is this important? Why, why should I know this? Or why why would I care about this? Well, being in the house would have given his master, Potiphar, an up close and personal understanding of Joseph's skills and successes. But it also made Joseph vulnerable to the sexual advances of the mistress of the house. He was a household slave, though. He wasn't out toiling in the fields. He wasn't far away. He was in the house. He was put in charge of things there. And Potiphar could see him. In fact, we learned something about how Potiphar viewed Joseph. And so because Joseph was in Potiphar's house, verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. In other words, everything that Joseph did was a success. And Potiphar, he's an eyewitness of it. And so he labored in his master's house, and all the things that he did, all the works of his hands prospered. And Potiphar saw this, and Potiphar knew that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused these things to be so. that's very interesting, isn't it? Well, what this indicates to us is that Joseph made obvious who the God was that he served. Even Potiphar, his master, was introduced to Yahweh. That's fascinating, isn't it? Joseph lived out his faith before his master. And so Potiphar and the whole household was made aware of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As one commentator put it, Joseph may be over Potiphar's household, but he was under Yahweh's blessing and guidance. And so Joseph was highly esteemed in that house. And the Lord blessed his every work. And so he was put in charge of everything which Potiphar had. In fact, we're told that Joseph was made overseer of the house and over everything that Potiphar owned. And again, the Lord blessed the house. Now certainly the blessing could be material things, material blessings, but we can also presume that the blessings included just simply the functioning of the household. Everything ran smoothly. Potiphar was gaining both in the home and in the field. All of his holdings were were going well. Things were going so well, in fact, verse 6, that he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, this is a figure of speech, by the way. It uh, was interesting uh, looking at various commentaries. You know, People are trying to figure out, well, what, was he like, not in charge of his food or something? That's actually missing the point. It's a, it's a figure of speech. Basically, what this means is that Potiphar only had to worry about one thing. That, that was just his private affairs. Everything else was being cared for by Joseph. Another way of saying it might be, the only care in the world which Potiphar had was what he would have for dinner. And even that was cared for for him. Maybe even more to the point, all he had to do was put fork to mouth. I mean, that's his, that's his worry in the world, right? That's it. That's not much. Can my, can my arm get up to my mouth, right? He didn't worry about anything, right? That's the point. That's the, that's the metaphor. This is a pretty low level of care in the world. And so a picture now has emerged, hasn't it? A picture of the Lord's great blessing of Joseph... Even as he toils as a slave, he's being blessed by the Lord. And and Joseph, in turn, is able to bless those around him. He's blessing Potiphar. He's blessing all the other servants that he's with. Everybody knows about Joseph and and how the Lord is blessing through him. But this is not yet the full picture. The text comments in verse 6 on Joseph's charmingly good looks and so trans- transitions us into the next section one, comp- one commentator put it this way quote amid joseph's many blessings he suffers from one endowment too many stunning beauty here was a strapping young man, handsome. He was well built. The description given here of Joseph is actually unique in scripture as applied to men. Usually the description used in Hebrew is a description towards women. But here it's Joseph is described this way. And so we're beginning to see a more complete picture. We see a man who you might say was the whole package. He, he had brains and brawn. Everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. And he was easy on the eyes. What was there not to love about Joseph? Well, this perhaps is what Potiphar's wife thought too. For as Joseph begins to rise in stature in the household, the mistress of the house began to take notice of him. Or as it says in verse 7, she cast her eyes Upon him. Which is then to say that she beheld him and scrutinized him, lustfully desiring him for herself. In modern parlance, we might say this she was objectifying him. He was her husband's slave, but she wanted him for her own kind of slave. And so she says to him, lie with me. Now, very bluntly, this is an idiom for sexual relations. It is here in the story of Joseph that we again see the contrast between he and Judah. Remember, Judah turned in towards a woman who he thought was a prostitute. He sought her out. Joseph, though, runs away from the woman who advances on him. And you also notice too that the wife of Potiphar is not honored in the scriptures with her name. We only know her as the wife of Potiphar. We know that as her husband was great in the land, she shared something of that status, but she remains unnamed. And Joseph did not seek to advance himself through the aristocrat's wife. And so there's a bit of irony in the situation. The mistress of the house was a slave to her own lust for her husband's slave. She already had a great man in the land, but she had to have this one who seemed to have it all. And so she pursues him. (coughs) Now as as she makes advances on Joseph, we read that he refused her. Look at verse 8. Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So Joseph expresses his duty. My master has placed me in charge of this house. He doesn't worry about anything. He shouldn't need to worry about anything. He certainly shouldn't need to worry about this. In fact, he's kept nothing from me except you, his wife. And that would be wrong. Although spoken extemporaneously, Joseph's statement reflects his moral beliefs as a follower of God. He was not going to violate his master's marital rights and thus sin against the Lord who is holy. Joseph's moral quality is all the more astounding when you consider that sexual promiscuity was a regular feature of slave societies. Any other slave would have jumped at this. But not Joseph. Joseph walked in the world, but not of the world. Nevertheless, the mistress of the house was relentless. Day after day, she would speak to Joseph, seeking for him to lie with her. But he would not listen to her. And so she tries to wear him down. And he continually refuses. However, there is one day when he goes in to do his housework. And we are told that none of the other men are there. Now, the narrator adds this bit of information to ensure that it's understood that this situation which Joseph found himself in is not because of foolishness on his part. It's not like he placed himself into this bad position. He's here to do his duty. But, if, but there just so happened to be that none of the other male servants were present that day or at that time. And so Joseph is simply minding his own business and he is then assaulted by this woman. Now this is a very unusual situation in many respects because typically an assault is, is the other way around. And we also have the problem of no eyewitnesses. Now it says that she grabbed him by his garment. The Hebrew word could be rendered seized. She seized him. And her demand, of course, was for that relationship, which is only appropriate for husbands and wives. And so quickly, he leaves his garment. He leaves it in her hand, and he flees the house. Now, obviously, she's upset. She's upset because she's not getting what she wants. And so she calls all the men of the house, which is to say all the other male servants, and she begins to make an accusation against Joseph. Now, this is the classic case of he said, she said. And there are no witnesses to what had occurred except for the cloak which she has in her hand. This is bad for Joseph. Joseph. This is very bad for Joseph. The cloak serving now as a witness against him. However, remember remember the theological context. The Lord was with Joseph. God is truly a witness, for God knows the truth. So the mistress of the house began to concoct a clever tale, and she spread it throughout the household. She calls Joseph that Hebrew servant. This appeals to their xenophobia. She claims to have cried out and that his purpose was to laugh at her, to mock her, to make sport of her. And he, he only fled, she claims, when I mean, she cried out in a loud voice. Now, of course, again, there's no eyewitnesses to this. But in doing this, as she concocts this tale and spreads it through the whole house, she gets the whole household in a buzz. And then she lays the garment aside and Waits. She waits for the master of the house to come home. And so she retells the story to her husband. Now, notice that as she reiterates the story, she's careful to emphasize Joseph's slave status. And she emphasizes that it's Potiphar, it's Potiphar who had brought this slave into the house. This is, this is, in other words, this is your fault, is what she's getting at. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. The Hebrew slave, your Hebrew slave, the one you had brought in, he's making sport of me. He's trying to humiliate me. This is your slave. This is how your slave treats me. She certainly was truly angry. She was she was humiliated. She was humiliated because of Joseph's refusal. But she's not being honest about her anger. She's twisting the story to make it appear to be something other than what it actually is. She was a woman rejected, and as the well-known poem goes, "Hell has no fury like a woman scorned." And so she was going to have her pound of flesh. As it were. And so, verse 19: as soon as the master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. He was very angry. Potiphar was very angry, but we must ask this question: who was he angry with? Who is he actually angry with? Now, the text is deliberately ambiguous. He may have been angry with Joseph at first, but he may not really have believed his wife. You see, the punishment for a slave raping his master's wife, likely, was the death penalty. But this is not what happens to Joseph. Instead, Joseph is put into the king's prison, which was not the most horrible of punishments. Potiphar's anger may have been in having to lose such a great worker as Joseph. And since attempted rape would have likely been a capital offense, and Joseph receives a much milder punishment, this may suggest that Potiphar didn't completely buy his wife's story. And so Joseph is put into... The prison, the, where the king's prisoners are confined. And again, here, here we see God's providence smiling upon Joseph again. Which is to say that he was being placed exactly where God wanted him to be. And again we see that the Lord was with Joseph. He was confined in prison, but God had not left him. God was in fact with him. And the Lord showed him steadfast love. The Lord gave to him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So again, just as previously as he had held favor with Potiphar, he now had the favor of the chief jailer, such that he was placed in charge of all the prisoners. This is exactly what had been the case in his master's house, which shows, again, Joseph was a trustworthy man. The Lord was with him. And so God showed him kindness through the kindness of other men. Again, this is still within the context of Joseph's suffering. is a prisoner, and yet God is showing kindness toward him. Notice, too, God doesn't remove Joseph from his suffering. you realize that? Joseph is not taken away from his place of suffering, but God exalts him within it. The Lord was with him in the midst of his suffering. And there's a lot of time that's going to pass. There's a lot of time which will pass before God leads him out of it. That said, Joseph was exactly where God wanted him to be. But applied to us, this may mean simply that when we suffer, we may not receive immediate relief either. We may never receive relief in this life. God, God leaving you in a suffering position does not necessarily indicate anything of God's disposition toward you. And Jesus, by the way, makes this clear in John chapter 9 with a man born blind. God's purposes may not always be clear to us, though often our sufferings can be a place that the works of God may be displayed. And so returning to our narrative again, just as before nothing was withheld from Joseph's oversight, the keeper of the prison put him in charge of everything. He didn't have to pay attention to anything which was in Joseph's oversight. And again, whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You see the hand of the Lord in all of this, right? Both Joseph, This isn't really about Joseph so much as this is about the Lord. What The Lord is doing through his servant. And so again, what is emphasized over and over and over again is this. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. We, we began with it and we end with it. The Lord was with him. He begins as a slave. The Lord is with him. He ends as a prisoner. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with Joseph throughout all of this. The narrative of Joseph illustrates God's sovereignty even over the suffering of his people. Joseph experienced a setback, but then he is elevated to a position of authority, only to fall back into a greater disadvantage, which will then later lead to a greater elevation. Where one is presently does not indicate where the Lord may cause them to end up in the end. And this is true for you and I as well. You and I face difficulties. You and I face distresses. But they are not necessarily permanent fixtures. And it ought to be borne in mind for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that God is always faithful to His covenant promises. God is faithful to you. And so what we're talking about is not necessarily in this life, it is not necessarily the case that you will not suffer anymore in this life. But in in glory, with Christ, God is faithful, is He not? Do you not have hope? We must must look at our life in, in light of eternity. In Joseph's entire career, Joseph's entire career is a demonstration of God's covenant faithfulness. God is faithful to His people. The Lord will neither leave nor forsake His Son. And in this sense, Joseph then points us to Christ, doesn't he? The ultimate in humiliation was for the Son of God to be born, to take on flesh, to, to live in a low condition, born under the law, experiencing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, the curse of death on the cross, and being buried, and in continuing under the power of death for a time. For God to experience that is the ultimate in Humiliation. And yet, Philippians 2 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ is highly exalted. Our Savior died and rose again from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. The humbled servant of Jesus Christ is the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords, and He has been given a new name which is above every name and at which every knee shall bow. And Joseph, in type and shadow, in his humiliation and his exaltation, points us to the humbled and exalted Christ. And so as you and I suffer, know this, we're in good company. For our Savior suffered with us and for us. So what is the purpose of God's suffering? or What is the purpose of your suffering today? What is the purpose of what you're currently, right now, going through? We may not always understand it fully in this life. We, Some of us may ha- not have the foggiest idea. Paul said, that the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh, so that he may be humbled and not become proud because of the revelations given to him. Sometimes we are humbled in our suffering. The Lord is humbling us. Sometimes we suffer so that the world may be humbled as the grace of Christ works in you, that they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Sometimes you suffer for the sake of others around you. A beloved follower of the Lord Jesus Christ Know that you and I are being perfected through our suffering. That we might rely more and more on our Savior and our God who died and rose for us. That we can have life in Him. That we might walk by faith in Him. Are you suffering today? Pray. Pray. Not necessarily that you may overcome all that ails you, but that God may overcome for you in Christ. Not that you may find comfort and ease in this life, but that you may find rest in your Savior, Jesus. Pray that the glory of God may be manifested in you, that you may live out your chief end, which is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The Lord is with you. The Lord has not abandoned you nor forsaken you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are encouraged by your word. Greatly encouraged because as we see Joseph, we see that you do not leave him. And so Father, we know from all, all of scripture that you don't leave any of your people. That you are with us even in our suffering. And so we are comforted in that. God, help us to find our rest in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to rely more and more on Him that we may walk by faith and not by sight. That our contentment is not found in our current circumstances, but our contentment may be found in our Savior who calls us to come and rest in Him. We ask, O God, We plead with you that you would help even change our minds and hearts in this. Help us to give glory to our Savior and our God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.